Bankruptcies are low, maybe a little too low, but what does that mean and what does that mean for our country? Teacher Pugh, legal analyst from Bloomberg Law, explains. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Hello, audience. I hope you're having a great day out there. Today, we're talking about bankruptcies and what's going on with them around the country. And so there's a relatively low number of them going on. And uh, what we're going to talk about today is what that means for the economic condition of our country during this era of COVID-19. And to help break down all that confusion, I invited Tidra Pugh, legal analyst from Bloomberg Law, to be on the show. And she joins us now. Welcome to the show, Tidra. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I loved your piece that I read in Bloomberg Law. It caught my attention right away. It was, uh, it was titled Analysis, and that was in all caps. So that was obviously great. Great move there. So Analysis, Consumer Bankruptcy Filings Are Low too low. And obviously the title drew me in like a moth to a bug zapper, but uh, my mind started reeling. I said, that just can't be right. And uh, as I read your piece, it became a little bit more crystallized for me. There's a lot of reasons that there's some delay in some of these probably inevitable bankruptcies. And so just to paint a little background there, you know, we're talking about the era of COVID-19, you know, there's been a lot of government shutdowns, you know, governors and mayors around the country and states and localities have been shutting down certain segments of the economy to try to reduce the risk of COVID-19. Obviously, some of these businesses, they've been hurting, but some of them are closing for good, not just hurting, they're done. Uh, there's been a lot of jobs lost, um, workers furloughed. You know, obviously, I've talked with a lot of my neighbors and, you know, kind of hearing some of their plights. And it's a scary time right now. You know, paychecks have been reduced or they're gone. And so I'm just thinking, how could these bankruptcies be so low? And you explain that wonderfully in your piece. And uh, before we get there, Tidra, what I wanted to do, you know, we, some of our audience out there, you know, they didn't go to law school. Uh, and even some of the lawyers out there that did, they pro- maybe they didn't take bankruptcy law. And so could you just briefly explain the different types of bankruptcies just to kind of give us a little, little bit of context? Yeah, sure. So there are a couple of different types of bankruptcy. Um, the first one, the one that most people think of when they think of bankruptcy is probably Chapter 7, and that's sometimes called straight bankruptcy. And that's uh, your liquidation bankruptcy. You go in, there's a trustee assigned to your case. The trustee looks through your assets and sees what can be sold, what money is there for creditors. Um, Your assets are sold and then whatever proceeds are distributed to to pay your debts. And at the end of that, if you're an individual anyway, you get a discharge. Then there's chapter 11. And this is, is the chapter that makes the news, right? Like, if there was such a thing as a sexy bankruptcy, this would be, this is, <laughs> these are the businesses that file. This is uh, Brooks Brothers and, and Neiman Marcus and all those that have been in the news. And that's usually also a reorganization of those businesses. So they go in and they work with their attorneys and their creditors to craft a plan, which is a payment plan for how they'll pay back their creditors over time. Um, and then there is chapter 13, which some people might also be familiar with. And that's what I talk about mostly in my piece. And that's the wage earners bankruptcy, similar to a chapter 11. That's for an individual to go into bankruptcy court and then work with their attorney, their creditors to craft a payment plan that um, spans three to five years. And at the end of that, they'll get a discharge of um, whatever debts they, they couldn't pay. That's the high level overview of those three chapters. You also have like chapter 12s, which are your family farmers and 15s, which are 
um, your cross-border bankruptcies, but you don't see a whole lot of it. Oh, I think that's great. That's, uh, that leads to a nice uh, jumping off part for the question getting back into the bankruptcies. And so obviously, you know, I was surprised to see that there was a really low number going on right now, considering the economic circumstances we are in. But, uh, you know, how just to just highlight that comparison, you know, how does this year, you know, 2020 bankruptcies compare to, say, a healthy year, a good old fashioned American booming economy year? Right. So um, overall, bankruptcies are, are down. Right. Um, they they hovered for the past couple of years in the mid 700 thousands. Um, but this year, it, of course, with everything that's happened, um, there's been some probably access issues with the courts and, and the other issues. But bankruptcies have gone down, which was surprising for me. And um, particularly the chapter 13s, which I looked at for for this piece, they're at about half of where they should be. The chapter sevens also took a haircut, but for chapter 13s to be half, considering everything that's going on, that was um, a little bit surprising. Um, Chapter 11s though, they've dipped down. But one interesting thing that happened is that in the beginning of the year, they were a little higher than usual. So now that they're lower than usual, they're evening out. So it looks like we're on track to have a, a regular year, if you will, for, for chapter 11s. But it's those consumer bankruptcies that aren't being filed that are, are making the number lower than what we would have expected. Well, let's contrast that with the uh, the Great Recession. And I remember the Great Recession pretty vividly. I remember for a period of time during during that uh, era, I would go up and down an elevator at this place that I worked at. And there's this really heavy cart that would sometimes get on when I was going up to my office. And it was uh, filled with files. And I one time asked the guy that was pushing these, I always saw, and he said, yeah, this is the cart of broken dreams. And what it was, it was the brand new foreclosures that they were having. And you know, obviously seeing that, you know, something's up with the economy and of course the meltdown. But uh, during the Great recession, they did see a pretty high number during the years of 2009, 2010. How does that compare to what we're going through right now? Right. Um, the, the fast answer is that it doesn't compare. And when you just look at the, the pure data, the numbers, it doesn't make sense. Um, the recession, the last recession, was an economic downturn. People were out of work, of course. And then there were those foreclosures that you talked about, that that card um, and and lots of other you know bad things that were happening. We we all remember it. I just started practicing. It's also burned in, into my memory. Um, and now we're we're having something similar, right? We're in another economic downturn. Folks are out of work, and so I went into the data really expecting the data from 2007 to about 2010 to look very similar to what we're seeing now. But overall, like I said, we are well below Great Recession bankruptcy filing numbers, like less than half. At the peak in 2010, there were 1.6 million total bankruptcies filed, right? Business bankruptcies then and, and even now, they've since then, they've stayed at about 25 to 30,000, maybe a little bit over that number. But consumer bankruptcies made up roughly 1.5 million of that 1.6 million um, number in 2009 and, and 2010. And since then, though, they steadily dropped. We were, we were going down, 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 down. Until about 2016, they leveled off to the 700s. And um, by this time, or at least by mid-year, by the end of the second quarter, we normally have 
400,000 or so um, consumer filings. And right now we're under 300,000 for mid-year 2020. And obviously we don't have the numbers for, for third quarter, but just from what I'm hearing, I don't expect it to be this great boom in cases that's going to put us back near where we were last year, much less um, great recession numbers. Like, like I said, we need to more than double last year's numbers to get there. Yeah, you know, I don't. It didn't surprise me that uh, you know right now would be less than the Great Recession for me because I was watching the the stock turkers pretty religiously. You know that that was the financial industry melting down, and obviously that was on the uh, back of the mortgage backed securities, which ballooned up and the bubble burst and uh, it sent down this cascade of financial consequences. You know, retirements were lost. Um, you know, businesses weren't able to get short term lending, and because of that, uh, a lot of businesses melted down after the fact. So it kind of sent the wave through, but. Uh, you know, the financial industry was not able to help people that were in distress, even temporarily. It was really difficult. I remember trying to get some uh, loans for some clients at that time. But, uh, you know, this one's different. You know, by all accounts, you know, right before COVID-19 happened, it, we definitely had healthy underpinnings of the economy. The financial industry was in good shape. You know, energy industry is in good shape. You know, basically all the industries were in pretty good shape. But right now, this is sort of an artificial economic crisis because we are being told to stay home to uh, to stop the spread of COVID-19. And so that didn't surprise me, but a lot of the other stuff in your piece, and I want to get to that specifically, is sort of, I guess in my opinion, and that this was my takeaway, is delaying the inevitable. So why don't we get into some of those factors that are skewing some of those numbers? Right. So um, there are a couple things that are, are keeping those numbers artificially low. Um, we all hear about the, the eviction moratorium, right? Right. There's also... Um, a moratorium on foreclosures for a lot of states. And I think that probably plays an even bigger role in it than the evictions, because people often file bankruptcy, especially those people filing chapter 13. You can't do it in a, in a seven, but in a 13, they file so that they can keep their homes, right? And so right now, even though the default rates are through the roof, we have these low foreclosure numbers because states just weren't allowing the foreclosure closures. So there also was not a need for people to file, or at least in my mind, that's what that's what I think is, is one of the factors and one of the things that um, are keeping those chapter 13 and consumer numbers low. Um, there's also, there were those enhanced unemployment benefits. So folks were able to kind of um, keep the ship upright for, for a while, you know, and, and they could pay their bills. There wasn't, again, that need to run to the courthouse steps. And Another thing that people don't think about, well, if you aren't a bankruptcy lawyer, you, you don't think about, is that it costs money to go broke. Like bankruptcy can be this thing where, you know, you fill out the forms yourself and you go down to the courthouse. But at a minimum, it's going to cost you about $300 or well, more than $300 if you're filing alone because you have without an attorney because you have your your filing fees. Right. And so that's just not money that people are willing or maybe even have right. to um, pay to the court to even get into a bankruptcy, even if they can do it all on, on their own. So those are, are some of the things um, to, to some extent. And I was talking to um, a coworker about this, about the court closures. Maybe at, at one point, court closures played a little bit of a role in this. But after courts figured it out and, and they started working on 
reduced hours and just having someone in the clerk's office at least at some point each day to take petitions. I don't think that's playing as big of a role now, but um, definitely those those first things as far as the forbearances, the, the foreclosure moratoria and, and that enhanced unemployment. I think that's that's what's doing it. You know, in your piece, you, you alluded to some uh, American optimism, and this is one that uh, definitely uh, got my attention within the piece. And so, yeah, I share, you know, I share some of that. You know, when we first heard, you know, we're going to shut down right now, we're just going to flatten the curve, uh, you know, to try to, to stop the spread of COVID-19, start off as 14 days, 14 days becomes 30, 30 days becomes three months, and now I think we're at five or six months, and and yet yeah. everybody's uh, looking forward to getting back. And I'm wondering, is some of that optimism maybe uh, delaying individuals from pulling the triggers? It's like, yeah, right now, you know, I'm uh, furloughed, but at some point we're coming back. I'll get my job back. I'll figure this out. Do you think that's that plays some role there? Yeah, at, or at least I I like to think it is. I like to think I'm optimistic. I like to think that most Americans are optimistic. And, you know, folks don't want to file bankruptcy. Right. One, because there's still a stigma. And then also they want to fix it. They, they want to pay their bills. They want to, you know, get back on top, go to work, you know, keep doing what they were doing and living their life. And so some of that could also be factoring in and, and folks are just doing everything they can, you know, pulling money from wherever they can to um, just hold off until things turn around. Things are going to get better. Tomorrow will be a better day. So let me not pull that trigger um, just yet. Um, and and maybe maybe it's not just me. If you If you thought that, that as well, and you're you're being optimistic. No, no, I'm well. an optimist. I'm definitely an optimist. You know, we have we have a wonderful country and a lot of incredibly smart people doing some amazing things. But uh, that's a great lead into my next question. You know, obviously, United States, like many modern economies, is a specialized economy. And so, you know, Tedra, you and I, we don't have a backyard where we have to grow our own crops, and then we don't have to chop wood to build our own house. We're not smelting our own metal or uh, you know riding a bicycle to produce our own electricity. We rely on other people to do that, and you and I do what we do very well in exchange for those other services. And of course, that medium of exchange is money. And I'm looking at this in terms of predictions. And so a, a lot of work right now has not been done, and we've been trying to prop things up through some deficit spending. So I think there will be a correction. I, I, My prediction, there will be a lot more bankruptcies filed. There will be a lot more foreclosures. There will be evictions. But I wanted to hand that off to you and see what type of predictions you'll make You know, through the end of 2020 going into 2021. Oh, gosh. I just talked about how I'm an optimist, right? Right, right. right. <laughs> so I, I would I would love to say that, you know, the numbers will stay low. Things will get better. But as you pointed out, there's there's going to be a correction. And that's because we're kind of living in a world right now that does not make sense. And so with unemployment claims, new claims each week, still as high as they are with, you know, those those forbearances are going to end at some point with enhanced unemployment expiring or already expired. The reality is that there will be a correction. All those foreclosures that have not been filed, that would have been filed even in a good year, are going to have to be filed at some point. And, and folks are going to hopefully think of bankruptcy as a tool that they can use to get their financial affairs back in order. So I, I think they're coming probably next year is, is my guess. And the second half of next year, 
just when I, I look back in 2007 to 2010, is, is not a great um, comparison to what we're going through now. But even then, from the start of the recession to the peak in bankruptcies, it was over a year. So if from the start of our shutdowns um, back in, in March, if we're still looking at that as some, you know, pass to some kind of guide, then I think we're looking at second half of 2021 when we'll unfortunately start to see folks run out of, of options. Well, that's a, a pretty doobie, gloomy prediction there, teacher. So, Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So why, why don't we leave it on a positive note? So I've been thinking about this, you know, when the pandemic ends, what is the first thing I'm going to do? So I'm, I'm way overdue for haircut. I look like a tumbleweed, but I can probably get that done during the pandemic. But the one thing I miss, I haven't gone back to, and I don't know why, but the one thing I'll probably do is go out for a uh, dinner of sushi. But uh, how about yourself, Tidra? Oh, my goodness. A haircut, yeah. Uh, um, I usually get my haircut pretty short, and now I actually have hair, and I'm like, what do I do with this? Um, but the zoo, I, I want to um, take my son to to the zoo. Oh, that sounds nice. And, yeah, <laughs> he, he's he's missing that. He loves being outside and doing things, and you know, right now a lot of that is still closed, and so to get him out doing some fun stuff is what I'm looking forward to most. Oh, you know, and I read something about that. I guess the animals miss the people, so they miss the stimulus out there. So uh, zookeepers have been a little concerned, like, the animals need their people. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's nice to know that the animals miss us. I haven't seen that, but that's all. That makes me feel good. (laughs) I thought, oh, they're they're sick of us. You know, we're tapping on the glass and poking at them. Apparently they miss it. When it goes away, they miss it. So uh, maybe they'll be pretty happy when uh, when we return. Nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tidra. It was uh, it was wonderful having you on today. Well, thank you. Thanks again for having me. This has been fun. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. It helps grow the show, and that's always a good thing. We'll cite our sources for this episode on our website, legaltalknetwork.com, in the show notes. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs>